his daydream was suddenly shattered into a thousand fragments, like a lance against plate armor. He saw the flash of a jeweled shoe buckle as the toe of the royal shoe caught him in the ribs. He heard the royal voice raised in petulant indignation. He felt himself flying through the air and landing on the hard paving stones a little way off. And then it penetrated to his chaos-stricken brain that the king had kicked him. That's a quote from A Cat May Look at a King written in the 1920s or early 1930s by Jan Struther, born 1901, died 1953. Welcome to the Literary Catcast, dedicated to the preservation of vintage books and writings with cats as well-developed main characters, bringing their awareness into the modern form of a podcast. I'm Phoebe Phillips. Jan Struther was the pen name of Joyce Anstruther, later Joyce Max Tone Graham, and finally Joyce Plashek, a writer remembered for her character Mrs. Menevere. And although agnostic, she wrote more than a dozen hymns. She was an English writer who spent her childhood in Whitchurch in Buckinghamshire, England. Jan Struther is the great aunt of Ian Maxtone Graham, former co-executive producer of The Simpsons. She is the subject of a biography, The Real Mrs. Miniver, written by her granddaughter, Yacinda Maxtone Graham. I found this story in an anthology of cat stories titled Puss in Books, a collection of stories about cats, edited by Elizabeth Drew and Michael Joseph. Copyright 1932 by Dodd, Mead & Company, New York. I got my copy, where I get most of my books, from Abe Books. There are many great cat stories in this book, Puss in Books, and you will learn quite a few of them on this podcast. I could find nothing on Jan Struther's history of writing this particular cat story but she did publish stories and poems in the 1920s and 30s for Punch Magazine, The Spectator, The New Statesman, and other journals. The stories for Punch brought her attention to The Times, a British daily newspaper in London. There, Peter Fleming asked her to write a series of columns for the paper about an ordinary woman, somewhat like herself, who leads an ordinary life. From this, the character of Mrs. Menever was born in 1937. Two years later, in 1939, the columns came to life in book form. World War II drove this book to become a sentimental, patriotic American film. Mrs. Menever, released in 1942, won six Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Greer Garson played Mrs. Minivere, winning the Oscar for Best Actress. Struthers' papers are housed at the Library of Congress Manuscript Division in Washington, D.C. And now, I can hear my tea kettle, and the cat, Herald of God, 
has crawled into my lap. This means it's time for the cat cast. The court cat lay curled up in a corner of the stone terrace with his tail round his nose and his warm furry body bruising a bed of sweet-smelling thyme. The scent of the thyme and the heat of the sun and the murmur of velvet bees all around seemed to weave themselves into a threefold symphony of perfume, warmth, and sound, more divine than any human music. The court cat drowsed in an ecstasy and found the world good. True, he was only a very humble member of the royal household, and nobody treated him with respect or even with much kindness. Kicks were often his lot, but he had plenty of happens, too, in the form of fresh milk and goldfish, given to him secretly by the smallest scullery maid. Secretly because such delicacies were supposed to spoil his appetite for rats and mice. The ladies of the court were gracious to him in their way, but they never made a pet of him. Oh, no, he was not, by any means, a society animal. Merely a plain, dark, short-haired tabby, with enormous yellow eyes, and no one except the smallest scullery maid thought him beautiful. As for the royal family, they ignored him completely, and he, simple soul, gave them in return his wholehearted admiration and unquestioning hero-worship. They were gods and goddesses to him. He blinked his yellow eyes, blinded before the gold-and-silver skirts of the queen and the white silk calves and jeweled shoes of his majesty. Higher than the king's knee, he had never dared to raise his glance. He was a humble cat. It was wonderful to serve under such a master, he thought dreamily, and to lie in the sun on a bed of purple thyme. Surely heaven must be like this, sweet-scented thyme and golden velvet bees and hot white flagstones and sun unstinted and goldfish unlimited, and the whole Milky Way for his supper. His daydream was suddenly shattered into a thousand fragments, like a lance against plate armor. He saw the flash of a jeweled shoe buckle as the toe of the royal shoe caught him in the ribs. He heard the royal voice raised in petulant indignation. He felt himself flying through the air and landing on the hard paving stones a little way off, and then... It penetrated to his chaos-stricken brain that the king had kicked him. Mongrel beast, said the king. Insolent feline quadruped, what are you doing here? The cat was too much taken aback to answer. So the king went on, for he loved to hear his own voice. What are you doing here? he repeated. How did you get here? Have you any right to be here? Do you suppose that I should allow you to stay here? He prided himself upon his rhetoric and knew the telling effect of skillful repetition upon an unsophisticated audience. You have dared to leave the kitchen premises, which are your appropriate abode. 
and to sprawl indolently upon my private terrace. You have forsaken the fitting society of the scullery maids and strolled shamelessly into the presence of your royal lord and master. Have you any excuse? Does not your conscience smite you? Infamous brute, can you look me straight in the face? Now this was a purely rhetorical question and as such did not require any answer. But the cat, who was no orator, took it literally, which is enough to ruin the effect of the finest speech. And he said, Yes, I can. And he did. He raised his great, round yellow eyes, very slowly and deliberately, inch by inch, and he looked the king in the face. It was an unheard-of event. It was unprecedented, stupendous. It was also rather pathetic, for it destroyed an illusion, and that is the most tragic of all murders, instead of the radiant, godlike visage which he had expected. The cat saw before him the face of an ordinary, uninspiring, bald-headed little man of fifty, with a weak, irritable mouth and rather querulous pale blue eyes. Not a god, after all. Not a hero. Not even a particularly noble-looking man. Just a human being who happened to have been born a prince. That was all. When the king confronted the bold, bright, merciless stare of those two loosened golden eyes, he was afflicted with the agonizing self-consciousness of a schoolboy. He felt that his face wanted washing. He felt that his crown was crooked and rather tarnished. He felt that there was a hole in the heel of his stocking. He felt that his scarlet robe and his ermine cloak and his satin knee-breeches and his silver-hilted sword, and his diamond rings, all the splendid outward signs of monarchy, were hopelessly inadequate to disguise the man who wore them, the very human, weak-minded, selfish, vain, irritable, despotic little person who was himself. And there was that devil-possessed animal, the cat, staring insolently with a gimlet-pointed gaze into his writhing soul. The court cat's lip curled slowly backwards and sideways over sharp, gleaming teeth. He spoke with measured cadence and exquisite precision. Little man, Little man of the pale blue eyes and the receding chin, and the tendency to stoutness and the exceedingly peppery temper. You have been deceiving us all. We, your subjects, of which I am the most humble, have worshipped you for years as something half-divine, founding our adoration upon your jeweled shoe-buckles, and never daring to raise our eyes to your face. So long as you treated me well and left me alone, 
I was content to worship unthinkingly. But today, you kicked me, and I will have my revenge. Today, you dared me to look you in the face, and I have looked. What I have seen, I shall tell to all your blind fools of subjects, and they will look at you also and see the same things. And soon, very soon, O oh little man, you will be worshipped no longer. He curled his lip again in celestial triumph, and the king knelt down on the hard flagstones to the ruin of his white silk stockings and stretched out his arms and prayed to the cat. Oh, cat, I have been hasty and cruel. I have been selfish and conceited. I have come to accept the adoration of my servants as though I were indeed a god. But now I will be proud no longer, for you have humbled me. I will make none but good laws for my country. I will never kick you any more. I will forgive you for daring to look at me. Nay, more, I will allow you as a special privilege to look me in the face whenever you please, henceforth and forever. Only swear that you will never tell my subjects what you have seen. Be merciful, O oh cat, and do not betray me to my people. And the cat laughed and said, It is a bargain, then. Get up and go home, little man, and remember that within your kingdom of gullible fools there is one person, at least, who knows you for what you really are. The king stumbled to his feet, shamed and humiliated, and fled away from that unwavering, ironical golden stare. And that is why, in the book of the laws of the king's realm, there is inscribed with blue ink and an admirable absence of legal ambiguity. Law number 999999. Nine, nine, nine. A cat may look at a king. Occasionally, in the council chamber of the palace, when the king is making a speech to his statesman, his pride in his own oratory gets the better of him again, and he rolls forth resounding repetitions and flings out a rhetorical question or two. And then, the court cat, curled up on a silken cushion in a magnificent chair of state, opens his round, golden-yellow eyes very wide indeed, and looks at the king and winks. The End The Literary Cat Cast is delighted to bring you cat stories that may be lost in time, if not for this podcast. Visit our website, theliterarycatcast.com. Look for the subscriber box, and you can receive each episode in your inbox. No need for a podcast app. While there, check out our cat-themed merchandise and visit the section, Cats of the Podcast, to read the bios of all the cats that voice our story transitions and link to their Instagram accounts. Yes, there are two Instagram accounts for the podcast cats, and you may directly link 
from the website. The Literary Cat Cast is written, recorded, and edited in my Dallas studio. The meows for this episode are from Tilly Sue. She's a white cat with a calico head, and she's the mom of our two cats, Pids and Grayson. They live together with Herald of God. Yes, we live with four cats. You may see all the photos on the website. Now wait for the final meows. I'm Phoebe Phillips. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.